I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guest, Morgana Ray or the money goddess, how Morgana's fans call her. She is the author of The Financial Alchemy. She's a coach and a speaker. Her groundbreaking approach to love-centered wealth building is fascinating. You got to listen to the four steps on how to slay your money monster. Morgana is also on her 26 weddings into getting married a hundred times in a hundred countries with the same man. Let's enjoy her story. Thank you, Morgana. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm excited that you're here because I'm sure you have an amazing story. So why do you want to share your story? I fundamentally believe that our victim experiences are sacred. I use the word victim really specifically because I don't consider myself a victim. I'm a very, very fortunate person. And I've been a life and business coach for 28 years. I'm one of the earliest. And I've noticed a pattern in my industry, the whole personal development, improve your life industry to tend to be very, very success oriented. Because I have a lot of friends who are in the movie, The Secret, law of attraction practitioner types in the world. They have this tendency to be pushing away a lot of human experience. There's a lot of fear around our painful human experiences. And what I want us to do is say, no, you don't have to be afraid of the painful stuff that you've been through. You are not going to be punished for being in a bad space today. In fact, I believe that you can use it. And that's why I like to say these experiences are sacred. They humanize us. They give us the humility and the caring to be able to respect the experiences of other human beings and be of service to others. So I want us to reclaim all those victim experiences. And I actually use that very intentionally because what I'm famous for, which is kind of the biggest cosmic joke in the world, is I have become world famous as honestly the world's leading relationship with money coach. That begins with my almost superhuman failure in money. I live a very, very good life. I love the people I work with and I have plenty of free time to travel the world and marry my husband a hundred times in a hundred countries. His idea By the way, that was another very, very long failure story. I did not meet him until I was 45. So what I'm best known for is my work around relationship with money. Morgana, I've heard that they call you the money goddess. Is that so? Yeah, I love that. I so love that. Tell me, when does your story start? Okay, well... (laughs) It depends on when you decide that it starts because it could go back generations, family patterns, fleeing countries under terrible circumstances, the Great Depression, my father's generation, where I usually start my story is 20 something years ago. 
I had already graduated from a top college in the United States. I already had half a dozen beautiful coaching certifications, master practitioner of this, that, and the other thing, a trainer, a coach trainer. I had celebrity clients, tons and tons of celebrity client testimonials because I started out coaching in Los Angeles because that's my hometown. So I helped a lot of actors with no credits get primetime TV hit series or big movies and awards and helping first-time directors sell their movies and all that fun stuff. That's what everybody knew publicly. But behind the scenes, what nobody knew was I was struggling to make $100 a month. Because the people were not paying? Because I could not get people to pay and it wasn't their fault. People wanted to hire me and they'd be ready to say yes. And then something weird would happen because I would just keep throwing more education at the problem. So I would take more classes, get more certifications, take more classes on marketing, even though I had been a marketing coach for seven years already. I took a class on overcoming sales objections. That was supposed to be the holy grail. Like they teach you the magic words to say when somebody says, oh, I'd love to, but I can't afford it. or I don't have time. And I'm a good student, so I learned the magic words. And it worked, sort of, meaning seven people in a row. I overcame their objections with the magic words. And none of them showed up and none of them paid. And that is weird because I had this amazing reputation well-earned for great results. Because helping people is fun for me. I have to do it. Coaching makes me happy. Here I am living in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the world, struggling to make $100 a month. And even that's looking sketchy. And I've done everything. And I've taken all the classes. And I'm living on credit cards. I'm borrowing money. I've got this horrifying, shameful secret. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm taking classes that teach me how to do what I'm already doing, that I'm already doing really well. You know, it's just this horrible circle. And I have a coach, which is crazy crazy when I can't pay rent, insurance, food, cable, like any of it. I'm public speaking, business cards, taglines. I nailed it all. I am repelling money like I am the superhero of money repulsion. Imagine me, if you will, in a superhero costume with a giant R on my chest. And I joke about it now, but I was so brokenhearted, furious, frightened at the time. And after that seventh person stood me up, I just completely ran out of hope. It was, it was, that was, that's where the story begins is that seventh person didn't show up and I hadn't gotten paid and I freaked out. I remember specifically dragging clothes, the blackout curtains in my tiny one bedroom apartment that I could not afford and lying down on my bed and just screaming, screaming, crying, wailing, raging. I remember feeling like the universe despised me. Just, ha ha, look, she finally knows what she wants to do with her life. She has a talent and we're never going to let her make any money at it. Ha ha, I just, I felt like the rejected stepchild of the universe. And I didn't like the universe back. And I really, really started thinking about how to get off the planet and end my life. 
You know, I can imagine it's a tough position to be. Terrifying. Terrifying. I was just, I, I was used up. There was nothing left to do. And I really like to speak to all you do-gooders out there who you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You're reading the books, taking the classes, hiring the coaches, implementing, getting the good grades, whatever it is. You're exercising, you're taking the dating courses, you're doing the business stuff, whatever you're pursuing, money, love, or health tends to be, you know, the top three things. And you aren't getting the results you're supposed to be getting. And it's not making sense because you're doing everything. And it's like the world is just a big no, because I know that pain so deeply. And it's dangerous. And I think it's the worst feeling in the world because it's also frightening. You're powerless. So this is where I was with money. After years of being the good girl, good daughter, good student, getting the grades, following every single promise, do this and you'll be set. Do this and you'll get clients. Do this and you'll make money. And I did all of it and I got none of it. And nobody knew why, including my coach. Here I am just weeping, weeping my heart out on my bed until I have no, no cries left in me. And I remember thinking when I was completely emptied out, well, maybe money could be my next area of spiritual growth. Maybe then I'd be willing to deal with it. Like spirituality is just like so much easier, less conflict. I had so much anxiety about causing harm by taking money. I didn't want to hurt anybody. But maybe if I hid the money in the the spiritual box, then maybe I would be willing to grow up around it, right? Uh, grow up in regards to money, meaning start making a grown-up living. What's going on? And I had a call with my coach the next day, the coach that I couldn't possibly afford. It was insane. Thank goodness, because this is what saved my life. I go to my coaching call with my coach and I am not myself. I had no more hope. I just, I had nothing. And I go to this coaching call and I'm just this big mess of despair and helplessness and hopelessness. And the greatest thing happened. My coach asked me, and who knows where this inspiration came from, but he asked me a weird question that I had never heard before that he had never asked before. And it changed my life. Morgana, if your money was a person, who would your money be? And in that instant, if your money was a person, hmm. who would your money be? And I saw instantly in my mind's eye, this big, scary, dirty, violent, terrifying biker who was going to harm me and maybe kill me. And he was all bad. And I could feel every cell of my body just kind of curling in on myself, wanting to protect myself from that guy, from that biker dude. Nothing wrong with bikers. This one, this was, this was just a really bad guy. I had this moment of imagining that I was at some live event, like an outdoor concert. And I had my eye on the biker all the time to create maximum distance between the biker and me. And that was the big aha moment. Oh my God, that explained my financial situation. For the very first time in my life, my financial situation made perfect sense. 
It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter how many beautiful online funnels I had or what a perfect offer I had or or my marketing copy and my words and my niche and my brand colors and my signature talk. And it didn't matter any of that stuff that everybody can teach you how to do. But you can just honestly, you could just look it up online and find any of that. Go, go check out a book. Didn't matter because no matter what I did, my entire being knew that money was this existential threat, was this bad guy, but I didn't know it until I made him a person. And that's when I found out what I unconsciously felt and believed about money. I had no evidence of it other than my results. And you, you think you learned this from your parents when you were little or how did this happen? I think I picked it up everywhere. I, I picked it up from my father's frustration. I picked it up from my grandmother stealing an inheritance from me that my great-grandmother had set aside. And at the time, I was a child, and I adore my grandmother. Like, I adore my grandmother. She passed a few years ago, but she's one of my favorite people on the planet. And that created a huge problem because I'm hearing terrible things about my favorite person in the world. So I made a very healthy decision that this is grown-up stuff, and I'm going to stay out of it. And then my stepfather stole my college trust fund. That's grown-up stuff. I will stay out of it. So there was, yeah, there was drama going on. But when you're a kid, it's a very healthy decision to go, I'm going to love everybody and stay out of it. And then I was unconsciously developing this belief that money got in the way of love. But there was more than that. There was parents being financially anxious. There was seeing, having friends who were poor and financially anxious. There's stuff in the world and deeper than that. The money stuff really has nothing to do with money at all. Money is just something, you know, we human beings made up. So what? Who cares? It's, it doesn't exist. It is a shared imagination that one purse is worth $5 and another is worth $5,000. They are just bad. But we give value. Money is a measure of what we value and are we valued. It is a measure of love. Are we loved? Are we wanted? It's a measure of safety. Are we safe? Do we have what we need to live? It's a measure of power. Am I powerful or am I helpless? It's all of these really core painful issues. So we can change your money story. Oh, cool, fun. Not going to change anything. I've, I've coached thousands of people. That's not where the change happens. It happens at the root cause behind the money. I didn't know that when I had my shift. I had to figure that out in order to make it work for other people. I just know that I was in such a deep state of feeling unloved, unwanted, unsafe, and powerless that when someone said, who is your money? Bingo. I saw this horrible person who made me feel worthless. And I knew that I could not have money in my life if it was that guy. Because when we make it a person, we are taking abstract concepts and giving it flesh. And that makes it real because we have experience, a lifetime of experience with human beings. So you saw this figure and then mm -hmm. you say that you still have to investigate more to know that this was the issue. I didn't need to know at the time. Now when I coach people, I know a lot. At that time, it was a lucky accident. 
now I know what needs to happen. This guy is so horrible that I know that there's no way that I can have money in my life if it's this guy. He has to go. He has to go. It's a mortal threat. Only one of us is going to survive. It's not going to get better. I made a decision and I got rid of the biker. And now I'm on my own. I'm not on the phone with my coach anymore. At the time, I broke up with him. I fortunately had had a lot of bad boyfriends, so I had had practice. That's not what I teach anymore. Now I would say, annihilate, annihilate the monster, leave no bloody bits, make it no longer exist. You can use any weapon of your imagination, blow it up. But there's something really powerful and cathartic, especially for women, but for men too. How do you get rid of the biker? Of making that stand that only one of us gets to survive and it's me. Oh, okay. And you do not get to exist in my life experience. And I put everything, when I'm saying you, I'm, I'm talking to the money monster. I'm putting everything that I don't want in my life experience including things that don't look like they have anything to do with money. Anything that is like tangling my nerves, things that have to do with climate, that have to do with politics, that have to do with the pandemic, that have to do with bad drivers, that, you know, I don't care, whatever it is, people hurting your feelings, just put everything in there that sucks out your joy. Blame it all on this imaginary person and blow it up. You know, I started out talking about how your victim experience is sacred. It's, it's a source of fuel for change. It's like a slingshot that the more you stretch into the victim feeling, the more tension and pull you create to catapult you into the opposite, into power, into love, into what you want. So we're creating this polarity, this like stretchy rubber band polarity to create a change that really sticks, that we're re literally rewiring your brain. We're lighting up all this neurology by accessing these bad experiences and then saying, no more. I reject thee. So yeah, I just broke up with the biker. That is the end of step three. The biker is gone. Even though I only broke up with him, I could feel that, whoa, he's gone. And this is really freaky because I've had this like relationship in my life, my whole life that I wasn't aware of until I became aware of it, got rid of it. And now I feel the difference and feeling the difference is really, really important. That's how you know you've gotten rid of it. So I had this new problem. I live in Los Angeles and I've rejected my only relationship with money. How can I have a relationship with money that, that would be different? I asked myself, well, because that last relationship made me feel so bad. Who could I want as a person so much that I'd be willing to have this person in my life, even if it's money? Who would be so wonderful that it's almost like I could overlook the money part? So now we're on step four, which is now you meet the money honey. When I ask myself this question, I... Out of who knows where, I suddenly imagine this tall, dark, handsome, romantic, sweetie, hot guy, clean cut, really safe, really romantic, all dressed up in a tuxedo and carrying a bouquet of red flowers as if he showed up to woo me and take me out on the town. And it felt so good. And I felt how much he loved me. 
And it felt like he had been there for the longest time and I had never seen him before, but he had always been there. There was like this weird, familiar feeling like he had just been waiting, but I could not see him until I got rid of the monster. I also could feel how vulnerable he was and how I'd been breaking his heart for years. By the way, this is really important. And this is why I like this romantic archetype of the new relationship, why it works best. Because let me tell you, in the early days when I was trying it out on clients, we were trying dogs and cats and horses and boats and all sorts of stuff. God, Oprah, Gandhi doesn't work. The great thing about a lover is a lover is your equal. You have the power to break your lover's heart. This new relationship is safe and you set the pace and it never crosses your boundaries. So it can be a nice, safe place to change your lifetime of relational patterns in this safe relationship with your money, honey. The main thing is this person is your partner, is not your savior. If you had a partner, so this is a different partner (laughs) with more money, more romantic. Yes. Yes. Oh, great question. Here's what happens all the time with clients who already have a romantic partner, married or seeing somebody. And very frequently that relationship's in trouble because they're fighting about money and they're anxious. And that does not bring out the best in anybody. What happens almost without fail, it's so common, is, oh my God, this person is so yummy and I feel like I'm cheating. And when I hear that, I am so happy because the relationship feels like it's such a real person that they think they're going to cheat on their human with their imaginary friend. And that can't happen. Your money, honey, doesn't have a body. But if your money, honey, arouses these erotic feelings, your human, honey, can benefit. And that can be really, really good for your human relationship. Is it easy to see? You saw this biking, but does everybody have that easy access to think, oh, this is the the human that represents money? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm going to give you some tips. What makes the visualization easier? Because I am a very, very bad visualizer. Step one, which is uncovering the root cause. And I was speaking about anything that makes you feel unlovable, unworthy, unsafe, or powerless is the real root cause behind the money. You will not find the the solution to the money drama in money. You will find a temporary solution. So wherever you are, we want to change your relationship with money so that it is safe, madly in love with you, wants to stay with you, and you can... In constant communication, keep checking in and finding out, okay, what do you need to stay with me? What shall we do now? What would make you happy? As if it's a real person. So when I imagine that cute guy and I could feel how much I'd been breaking his heart and how much he wanted to be with me, I realized in the moment, I didn't know how to let money be with me. I was really, really good at pushing it away. I didn't know what I was doing to push it away. Until after I changed my relationship with money, now I look back at the things I did with no conscious awareness at the time. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to do that. That's insane. But it wasn't even what I was doing. It was the energy of all my guilt, fear, and shame at taking money because I didn't want to cause harm. 
And money was so monstrous to me, but I had no idea because I wanted it and I wanted to buy things and I wanted to be self-sufficient. So I didn't know that I felt that way about money. I didn't know I was protecting myself from money until I saw the biker. So because I was in such a deep, dark place, it was overriding my conscious brain. So as soon as my coach asked me that question, boom, the guy was there. And some of you will need to work harder on the monster and some of you will need to work harder on the honey. If you're having trouble connecting to your honey, the money honey, make sure that you went deep enough on step number one. Step number one is uncover the root cause. It's like building your legal case against the universe. You put on your victim hat and everything that was ever wrong in your life or the world, you just want to like bring it up. You do not have to re-traumatize yourself. You do not have to go so far that you dissociate or have like any kind of dangerous experience, not necessary. Just dig up enough to go, ugh. And when it's big enough, then imagine that it's a person. That's step number two is you give the root cause personhood and we call it your money monster. This is your relationship with money. And suddenly all the money bad stuff will make perfect sense. Step number three is annihilate it and make sure it's all gone. All of that needs to be done completely big enough, bad enough, and gone enough. And then you have space for the only thing that's left. And the only thing that's left is love. So this new person is going to feel like love. And I would start with the feeling. First, pick a location. Where do you want to meet the person? That is a neurological reset. So it may look random when I say, okay, where do you want to meet your money, honey, but it's not. It serves a purpose. Put yourself in the location, feel it, smell it, hear it. Now the person is walking towards you. What does the person feel like? What does the person smell like? What does the person think when he, she, or they look at you and step into the person's arms? And notice I haven't even asked what the person looks like. I always save that for last. And just get into that feeling of connection and safety and love. And that's step number four. Step number five is now you can have a conversation. And then step number six is concrete, measurable action. I didn't share what my action was. I think I kind of stopped telling my story after step four, right? So this beautiful guy wanted to be with me and I didn't know how to let him be with me. So I asked, I asked him, what do you need from me so you can stay with me the way you want to stay with me? And he told me, he at that time, our very first conversation ever, he said, I want you to love me and I want you to stop treating me like a monster. And there was such sweetness and love and kindness and purity in that desire. It sounded fair too. He and I had a conversation. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like to stop treating you like a monster? Well, for starters, when somebody wants to hire me and wants to know what I charge, Maybe I don't freak out. Maybe I don't go, ew, like I'm pushing it away, like some really, really disgusting thing, you know? Maybe, maybe let's start there. Maybe I don't reject his gift. Maybe I say thank you. I energetically say thank you. And what would that look like? I will state my fee with that energy of gratitude and love. As fortune would have it, I got to try out this new skill. I got to test my commitment. I got to test my word because over the next day, four people reached out to me to hire me. And I allowed four people to hire me for double what I had ever charged before. Wow. Incredible. 
Thank you. And by the way, I was terrible at it in the beginning, good enough to let them hire me, but oh my God, I was so awkward. I was sweating bullets. I was so uncomfortable and freaked out. And I freaked out a little bit less with the next one, a little bit less until I started getting better at it. And and the clients keep coming. For example, my client Anna last year did my $15,000 money goddess retreat and made $1.2 million over the next four months. And she was somebody who was there going, I don't know if if I should have spent the $15,000. That's a lot of money. How can this possibly be worth it? I can take you farther than you can go yourself and bring you out the other side. And that's the key is when money becomes safe. All that effort that you've been putting in for so long finally can come back to you. You started to get clients and the, the monster was gone and you just have a honey money and things were going well. Then when you decided to write the book? Well, okay, that's funny. And by the way, I swapped out my money honey for a new one in 2008 when like the whole world was going dramatic and I was seeing so many sad stories and it affected me. And I got really mad at my money honey and I didn't trust him anymore. So I created a new monster and slayed that and got a new honey, which because this is a life skill, it's sort of like, sort of like spiritual hygiene. It's like you don't spiritually bypass what goes on. It's this is a way to use it. Like brushing your teeth. Oh, I'm feeling kind of iffy about the world right now. Let's turn that into a monster and then talk to the honey on the other side and see what I need to know now for like my next level of evolution. In 2006, like four years after I changed my relationship with money, a couple of my friends told me they were speaking at this thing called the Conscious Life Expo, which was this huge expo at the LA airport. And they were going to speak and they were going to have a booth. And I had never heard of that, but I instantly became madly jealous and was internally whining, but, 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 but I want to speak at the Conscious Life Expo. I want a booth. Like in the whiniest two-year-old voice that you can imagine was my inner voice. <laughs> and... Within hours, I got a phone call offering me a free speaking gig and a free booth while other people were spending hundreds and thousands of dollars. I am the world's best manifester through whining. That's also how I got you know, my first news interview in Sacramento. Somebody else was going to be interviewing on the show. And I thought to myself, but, but, but I want to. And I got a call saying, can you be in Sacramento in the morning? So I suddenly had this booth. And the speaking gig in two weeks, and I had nothing to sell but me, which is like proposing marriage on a first date. It's too much. Not everybody should hire me. I don't want to work with everybody. I need some other way to help, something to offer. So I had been thinking about creating a book for a couple of years, I created this whole system of manifestation, my own worksheets that I was doing religiously every day. And I was overachieving all of my goals. After all these years of setting goals and being frustrated, I was getting them like right away. I would just put it out there and it would come back. And so I had my system for magic and manifestation and I was getting published in magazines and getting radio interviews for the financial alchemy process that I just told you. And I was thinking I should write a book, but it seemed like an awful lot of work. So I had two weeks and I knew that I had to come up with something. So I put together the first version of the book in two weeks. 
in two weeks. And it was a lot easier than I expected. And it cost me $20 to publish it at Office Max, my original publisher. I was charging $40 out of the gate in March of 2006. And I created this hybrid of book and year-long self-coaching system. So the people who bought it kept buying it year after year after year after year. And they kept writing me and telling me about all these crazy miracles they were having. And then in 2012, somebody referred me to the biggest nonfiction agent in the world. This is the agent who represents Eckhart Tolle and represents Marie Kondo and represents all of them. And he took me on as his client. And he told me he wanted me to write a book proposal. And I freaked out. Book proposals are these like 40, 60 page things. And it just was like, oh my God, that sounds so hard. And I came up with the idea that if I had a book launch and published my book for real and became a bestseller, nobody would notice that I was procrastinating on writing the book proposal. So in 2013, I launched my book for real. And it went to number one in all categories on Amazon in the US, number one in the in Canada, UK, Australia. And it was a lot of fun. And I keep getting these stories from people who did the book. That's, that's, that must be so rewarding. And what about your relationship with love? So 10 years after I changed my relationship with money, I was still single. And by the way, the, the whole love thing, That goes back to chasing Brian Patterson under the piano on his fifth birthday. And Brian Patterson was the older man. So I've, I've really been on the hunt for my Prince Charming since my first Disney movie. And I was 45 and I was unmarried and I was still looking. Not for lack of trying. I took every class. I read every book. I did every workshop, I did everything right, and I was still getting my heart broken. Do you think that you had a monster too of love? Of course I had a monster. And you sound just like the back of my head. And so in 2012, I'm teaching this and I'm hearing myself saying things like, you know, if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you aren't getting the results you desire and you deserve and it doesn't make any sense, you are probably protecting yourself from what you want. And I heard myself say that and I could just bang my head against a wall because I knew that that sounded like my love life. So in June of 2012, I slayed my love monster and I met my husband on August 11th, 2012. <laughs> so we're about to hit the 10 year anniversary of our first date. I made a decision to stop pretending not to know what I knew on the first or second date. I had about 10 years of going on dates with guys And seeing the expiration date above their head on the first date, it's like, you're lovely and you've got anger issues. You've got mama issues. You just told me the names of every person you've ever slept with. This is never going to work. <laughs> When I met my husband after I slayed my love monster and I had zero expectation, I didn't even want to show up for the date. His photos online were horrible, but there was one photo that made me think maybe if he looks like this photo, maybe he's cute. And he wrote a really nice letter and we, and he had a nice deep voice when we had a phone call. So I made a date with him, but I wasn't excited about it. I really didn't want to show up. I was tired. 
I had driven all day. I didn't want to bother, but I also didn't want to be a jerk who stands somebody up. So I showed up and he was cute. And the date lasted six hours and I felt really safe with him. I didn't feel like I needed to impress him. I didn't need to be clever. I didn't need to be amusing. I could just be myself. I felt that relaxed and unattached. And he was cute. So I thought, oh, I'd go on another date with him. The second date was when he got really hot. And then I became crazy. And then I hired a coach to help me like be crazy with my coach so I could be normal with him. I slayed this love monster and met my husband two months later. I kept looking for the expiration date and it kept not showing up. Every time I would learn something about him is, you know, his secrets would come out. The stuff he didn't share online or in the first date, it would make him better for me. I never felt worried he was going to reject me or drop me. And at about six months, I made a decision that when he asked, I would say, yes, this was the one. I would marry him when he asked. And I thought, oh, because on our second date, he told me he didn't believe in marriage. He had been married. It didn't work out, but he would probably get married again. So I figured, eh, it'll take him four or five years. I like things the way they are. There's no rush. And then he ruined everything by proposing marriage to me over Skype when he was in South Africa on a photo safari and I was in Bali leading my money goddess retreat. And we'd only been together for 18 months. So I thought I still had a lot more time. This was when I realized, wow, I have commitment issues. That's why I've been unmarried for 47 years. He proposed marriage over Skype. A day or two later, I picked him up from the airport the next day. We eloped and I thought that was it. But then he had another assignment in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, because he, he's a travel journalist. And he's called them and said, well, you know, I just got married. Can I bring my wife? And they said, sure, make it a honeymoon. So two weeks later, we're down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico on our honeymoon. They drop us off down in the center of town in front of their iconic cathedral, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And we are filthy and sweaty and greasy from a massage and from walking around town in our flip-flops all day. And he sees the cathedral. And as some sort of spontaneous goof, he thought, you know, let's get married again. So we marched in filthy and gross into this cathedral to the front of the altar. And we take off our rings and we spontaneously exchange new vows and it landed so much deeper this time because I had been married for 13 days. So I knew that much more about what it meant to be married. Whatever he said, I have no clue. I don't remember. It made me feel so loved. And it landed at such a deeper place that I started to cry. And strangers in the pew started to cheer. And we kissed. And it was amazing. And that was when he came up with the idea, let's get married a hundred times in a hundred countries. And we are right now 26 weddings deep. And when we hit a hundred, we'll just keep going <laughs> because there's never any reason to stop. There's an, it's the greatest thing to just take time out of life, go through the hassle of booking a trip and going somewhere and facing each other, whether it's in a thousand year old castle or it's in the corner of a hotel having a marriage ceremony. And some of them have been ridiculous. We got married in the Republic of San Marino on this mountaintop in the middle of Italy. And the government threw us this day-long pageant in medieval clothing, in Latin vulgare, where I'm in this thousand-year-old tower 
with all these ladies in waiting, dressing me up and singing historical songs. And then they parade me down to where my husband has negotiated some sort of arrangement with the guy pretending to be my dad. And we have a ceremony. And all the people participating who are not us are actual members of the government of the Republic of San Marino. And when it's over, they knighted my husband. So remember how I was looking for my Prince Charming since yes. I was four? Yes. I landed a knight. <laughs> <laughs> Morgana, do you actually arrange for the wedding or you just show up like you did in Mexico and, and just let it happen? Well, I thought it was going to be like Mexico, but at least I went through the effort of going to Ross Dress for Less and buying a $20 white lace dress. So you don't spend a lot of money on the wedding? No, because it's not about that. The husband is the prize. Turkey, we got married and we got married in this, I think, 800-year-old farmhouse. They borrowed some antique clothing, Turkish clothing from a nearby museum. And I rode in on a horse and my horse had a horse. And I've got like that pointy fairy princess hat because that's Turkish, you know, with the scarf. And the minister of culture married us. So we've had some ridiculously ornate weddings. We had a wedding in Mexico with 40 Mayan dancers. A childhood friend of my husband uh, was dating a huge celebrity pop star from Eastern Europe and asked us if we would be open to having a double wedding. Oh, wow. And my response was, look, I have a hundred weddings. I can share one. <laughs> sure. Why not? Of course. You know, so that was Serbia. I don't plan any of it. It's all an adventure. Honestly, the wedding in Serbia didn't go so well because the people at the wedding weren't our friends. They were the friends of my husband's friend. And when my husband was saying his vows to me in English, and they were the most poetic, beautiful vows that I had ever heard him say, and these Serbians started booing. They were booing while the groom is saying his vows. Nothing that happens at the wedding really matters, except we choose each other. And nobody could ruin that wedding. When I tossed the bouquet, it fell on the ground and nobody would touch it. Like it was the wildest nightmare wedding. It was so weird. And I don't speak Serbian and I have no idea what was going on. We still got married and then we left in the rain and took a bus back to our hotel where we asked that sweet little girl behind the desk to remarry us. So, because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the first one didn't uh, go so okay. well. Good, good, good. All right. So, Morgana, so your story is fascinating and I love the book. Financial Alchemy. 12 Months of Magic and Manifestation. You can find it everywhere, but if you go to my website, MorganaRay.com, it's just my name.com, you will not only find my book there, but there's a page on my website called Book, where if you come back after you buy the book and you put in your name and your email address and your receipt number, you will get a top secret 
bonus gift that nobody else knows about. There's a gift that's in the book. There's a link in the book Mm -hmm. to an audio class that I highly recommend because obviously there's stuff in my voice that you don't get from the page. But there's another gift of a two and a half hour Q&A call that I did with all the people who bought my book in 2013 and they started working on the book. And then they got to the place where they had questions or they got stuck or they came up with an obstacle that I had never heard before. I love that stuff. And I was able to coach them live on that call so that you can experience it vicariously. So they can buy the book on Amazon and then they go to your website with a receipt. Go to my website, name, email address and receipt so that I can legally email you the download link to the Q&A call. Wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And well, we will, I guess we will follow you until see how many more weddings you're having this year. Are you planning any more? I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of weird with the pandemic. We got married in Costa Rica in March. There's so many places I want to go to, but I also want to do it when it's going to be easy and safe. Yes, that's true. You know, I'll keep you posted. We'll figure it out. Okay, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you again. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I am Daniela, and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto.